and welcome to Fresh Pressed for, well, shoot, Andrew, I don't actually know what day this is going to come out, but, you know, post-Christmas, end of the year 2020? I feel like you should just say for the year of 2020. Oh, oh, you're right. For the year of 2020. Do you want to take it from the top, or are you good? Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> or, yeah, okay. Do you want me to go through the whole thing, or? Well, I thought you would, and then it kind of fades out at the end, and then I jump in with, hello, and welcome to Fresh Pressed for the year 2020. My name is Gabe. (laughs) My name is Andrew. This is a show about new tunes and new grooves. Um, Did you almost forget (laughs) what you were going to say at the beginning of that? Because it sounded like you paused again, hesitantly. No, listen, I was dropping into my radio voice, which I occasionally do for this podcast. Unnecessarily. Hey. With a strange cadence that is... Strange. Listen, if Obama can do it for eight years of a presidency, I'm allowed to do it for two sentences in a podcast. I think that's how that works. I'm the president. Yeah, that's them's the rules. Anyway, Andrew, do you want to explain the format of this particular show to our listeners since it is a little bit different? Yeah, so this is our year-end episode. And like last year and every year before it, we're doing an episode and it has music in it from the whole year. Last year, we did something wildly different, which was we had a guest on and we each brought three songs and I didn't edit the podcast. This year, we have each, we don't have a guest um, and we have each brought two songs and one album and uh, we'll see how I feel tomorrow about editing the podcast. Yeah, unclear if this podcast will be edited either. I'm sure you will be able to ascertain that, dear listener. Um, but what we're going to do is um, last year we were just like, just three songs that you liked. We don't know what we're doing, but also we'd only been doing the podcast for like two months, so it didn't really matter. But this year we've done the podcast for the whole year, so we didn't want to just pick like our top three songs from the year because it's pretty likely that we've talked about those. Um, so instead, what we decided to do is uh, one song from an artist who we have not talked about at all this year. Uh, one song from anyone else. I guess it could have also been someone we haven't talked about this year. But uh, so some without that restriction, just as long as it wasn't one of our two picks uh, in an episode. And then uh, one album that we thought was not necessarily our favorite album, but like, a favorite that we feel deserves some more airtime in in terms of talking about it. So you won't hear me talking about Hannah again because I already talked about that in another episode. But you will hear me talk about uh, an album that I really love that I feel like uh, deserves more attention from this year. Right. Thank you for that lovely explanation, Andrew. Made so much sense, and I loved it. Yeah, it's going to be great, especially with no editing. Um. Do you want to lead us off with your first song pick that was a wonderful highlight for 2020? Yes. So um, even though I just introduced these uh, three categories in a specific order, we're not doing that order. We're doing a different order. So I'm starting with the second of those three things, which is a song from an artist who we have talked about, uh, but we haven't talked about this song. This is White Window Light 
by Madeline Kenny. Well, what's the point? So I talked about Madeline Kenny in episode 29 uh, when she released her song Sucker, which was a single off of her album Sucker's Lunch, which came out at the end of July, I believe. I, I had heard that song. It was recommended to me, in fact, by Soraya Perry, who was on our podcast last year. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And then I didn't really listen to the album when it came out. And then I did listen to it when it came out. And I enjoyed it. But the more and more I've listened to it, and I now have it on CD, um, the more I've, I've really loved it. And I always come back to this song, which is the penultimate track entitled White Window Light. Uh, this song is... As Madeline Kenny herself says, a, quote, bona fide love song. It may not come off that way. I'm aware the first line is, well, what's the point? But that's because I had some hard and weird conversations about love and they wound up as lyrics. Huh. Yeah, because that is the vibe that comes through from the whole song. Yeah, all the verses are like, like the second verse is like, well, I guess you're right. Like even in that sort of talking kind of cadence. Yeah, but the, the whole thing opens like, what, what's the point of love, I assume, is what she was going mm. for there. And I feel like it is um, that that question, well, what's the point, in some ways gets answered by the sort of indirectly uh, by the chorus, which is really the main thing that I want to highlight from this song, because this is the part that makes me return to the song over and over and make it get stuck in my head and in preparation for this episode, I like listened to all the songs, but I kept listening to this song over and over because I really like it. Um, and the chorus is very simple. It's uh, two lines or three lines, two sentences, one sentence, two clauses, three lines. And the words that are in the sentences and clauses and lines oh, are as follows. Stand by the window. I want to recreate the picture I have in my head of you surrounded by white light. There are a couple ways I want to approach this chorus. The first is to say that I've said it on this podcast before. And in fact, as I was thinking about this, I got nervous that I had already talked about this song in the podcast, but I definitely didn't. Unless I did, but I definitely didn't. That I love like a really long sentence that doesn't feel excessively long when it's sung across all these different lines so that stand by the window feels like it's kind of stands alone no pun intended and then the second half of that and by half i mean like four-fifths of it i want to recreate the picture i have in my head of you surrounded by white light is all one thought but is stretched out through this whole chorus and uh i don't know it just feels like this like each of these like bits of words comes in waves and I just love how that works in this even in the and especially in the second time through the chorus she cuts it off before the titular white light and turns it into like this incredibly long sentence that repeats that first part three times before you finally get to the landing point of white light I just love a song or a line of a song that 
really buys into like the length of a of a sentence or a thought and makes it feel both uh worth it getting through that whole way and uh satisfying when it lands on the last part which in this case is that white light andrew you've expressed not about this song but you've expressed this exact musical sentiment before yes i think i talked about it with that flight song the title of which i can't recall which I probably should have looked Correct. up before I started because, but I, I didn't think of it until literally just now. Another thing that I want to say about this, I said that it sort of answers that question of, well, what's the point? And I feel like that's true because it, you know, the, the question the whole way through is like, what, why, you know, do all this if it's just going to end in pain? Which is not necessarily that original of a, a question to to pose at the beginning of a song. But I really feel like this moment that she's illustrating with the chorus is the indirect answer to that question. It's like, that's why. Because of this moment, this picture that you have in your head, you surrounded by white light and like realizing that, I mean, like making real that image that you just have in your head. It's it's just, I I, I don't know. I, I just feel like, especially the way that it's orchestrated, the openness of it, um, the way that it lands on that white light with the like saxophone and stuff behind it. it. It just feels like a self-evident answer to that question. Like, that's why. That is the point. Today was a big year, or sorry, today was a big year. Today was a big year. Um, Gabe. <laughs> Andrew. Gabe, this was a big year for you and for artists named Jess or Jesse or Jessica or some variety of that name. So tell us about the one out of the many options that you've chosen. You know... I've already made this joke. Yeah, this is it's a fucking greatest hits. That's what this whole year end thing is. Yeah, I just want to put that out there for our listeners. I made this joke back when I brought the Jess Cornelius record. Yeah. But in this case, I want to talk about Jess Williamson mm-hmm. off her record from this year, Sorceress. The song is titled Wind on Tin. <laughs> Great song title. This entire album captivated me in a way that few other records did this year. And I know, Andrew, this is not the album portion of our show, but I wanted to set that out. Would you say it in sorcel do you? Wow. What an excellent use of that word. My goodness. In sorcelled? Andrew. Mm-hmm. Whew. 
That's not bad for a Monday evening. I would say it did ensorcel me. Okay, good, 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 good. And I think that's an apt word for it, not only because the, the album is titled Sorceress, but because of the way it, I felt lifted up in the magic of it. Mm. I think in part, and this song is maybe the epitome of that, is how it generates this cinematic American West imagery. Hmm. And I have done so far three cross-country road trips this year that have taken me from California to Ohio and back and then again from California to Ohio and I will shortly be going back again due to the flying thing being not great. Yeah. How many cowboys have you seen crying? At least two, but I don't I mean, you know, who's counting? Um, there, there's something the way that it captures like the magisterial nature of being out there in like the wide open skies and places and the idea of this wind whistling across the plains and rattling the tin roofs of the homes out there, um, as this song suggests. It's one of the few records that I bought this year on vinyl and it's lovely to listen to on a record player as well which i don't think every album is suited for right like but this one like put it on eat some breakfast amazing (laughs) um so jess williamson quickly um since i haven't really introduced her um she is a texas born and raised musician as you might gather um although she's currently working out of la this is her fourth record I think the whole record, and particularly the song, Andrew, has a lot of Bruce Springsteen influence in it. Famous Texan. Yeah. But, uh, you know, especially like you, Andrew, I grew up with a lot of Springsteen, Mm -hmm. uh, given where we're from. And this certainly reminded me of that and that same capture of wide open space that Springsteen does so well. The lyrics on this particular song are gorgeous. Um, And I, I just particularly love... A, you have like this imagery of being out in the West and like, uh, you know, talking about these like random highways and the adobe and, and like being in, in sort of an abandoned place. And, but the, the second verse is like just majestic. It's so beautiful. Heard a house. Heard a sound so heavenly, were the angels sing just for us? Or is that what the wind out here does on tin? And then she dives into this really like open section, reverberating, like as if it were the wind on tin, singing, I heard God out in this place, out with the wind gusting across these tin-roofed houses. Yeah, you know I love a song that... Uh takes sort of a left turn into uh cavernous religiosity yeah well definitely true here but i love this idea of there being god out in the in these wide open spaces and these places that are abandoned and left behind with 
I don't know, the the modernization of the world, I guess. It's a song that I've come back to over and over again, an album that I listen to all the time. And I wanted to make sure that we got that on the show. Then we did. Yes, did it. All right. And now, Andrew, for something entirely new. And now, Andrew, for something entirely new. Sorry, was that the entire lead-in, or did you want to introduce anything? No, I didn't want... I just wanted... Listen, it was going to be a a, a, a jump cut. Okay, well, you you can put a jump cut in when you edit the goddamn episode, but if you're making me edit the episode, then I'm going to have to... Uh, the song I want to bring to your ears this day and this year, all this year, uh, is For Now by Jayla. Treat me like the one you want, though I know you're coming up. For air is all and I won't let them see you when you're I don't remember when I heard this song and the EP it comes from, which is entitled Ache of Victory. But it was certainly after the album had come out. So it was, I I didn't have a chance to bring it on this program. But ever since I listened to it, I've been thinking about, hey, for the year end episode, we should talk about albums and music that we like that we didn't talk about on the show. So uh, that was sort of the, this song is in some ways the reason why we're doing uh, this episode in the way that we're doing it. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Here's here's something else you didn't know. Jayla uh, is 25 years old, and I found, I was looking up some information about her today so that I would have something to talk about, and I found a uh, New York Times profile of her, which surprised me because I didn't really know a lot about her, so it surprised me if there was like a New York Times profile about her. And there's a picture of her at the top, and I was like, wow, she looks like Tessa Thompson. And then I read later in the uh, article that she is uh, the half-sister of Tessa Thompson. Yeah, I did read that New York Times profile today also. (laughs) But but yeah, it's a really cool fun fact. Yeah, that's wild. And they do look a lot alike, which I guess, yeah, would totally make sense if they're half-siblings. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so she's Tessa Thompson's half-sister. But she, you know, this, this New York Times... Profiles is like, ah, she's been in no rush to release her music. She's like slowly been doing stuff, which I guess is true for someone whose half-sister is Tessa Thompson. But like, I mean, she's only 25. Like, that's not crazy old to be releasing your debut EP. Anyway, that aside, um, I really enjoyed this Ache of Victory EP and especially the song For Now. 
there's this incredible sort of like, in some ways the chorus of this song provokes a similar feeling in me as the chorus of White Window Light in that it just feels expansive um, and reverberant. And also there are these, she has a similar technique of sort of these long lines. But the thing that sets her apart from, say, Madeline Kenny or someone else is that a lot of these longer lines, both in verses and in chorus and in other sections, is that they feel like not one really long sentence that she's split up into different lines to uh, fit in the structure of the song, but sort of fragments of sentences that like slightly overlap and then like she adds a little bit of extra things that that overlap them even further it's it's hard for me to describe but the first few lines are treat me like the one you want though i know you're coming up for air is all and i won't let them see you when you're down which is like i'm not exactly sure where to split that up other than where she has it split up in in terms of lines but it sort of overlaps and has this uh, rhythmic kind of dreamy quality. And when I say dreamy quality, I both mean like sort of the dream pop thing that Gabe loves, but also the like, like when you are in a dream, the logic of the dream is not necessarily the logic of real life. And in a lot of ways, there's like some kind of uh, stream of consciousness or word association aspect to it where you'll be uh, doing one thing and that leads you to another thing and leads to a third thing. And the third thing isn't necessarily related to the first thing, except by way of the second thing. That's just sort of the way that I feel uh, like it, it, it's the thing that, that this song makes me feel as I listen to the words. I feel like it just sort of takes me down this winding journey and I'm not exactly sure how one thing leads to the other, but it feels right. Yeah, there are a number of like ideas and thoughts and images that are overlapping and interwoven with each other that sort of form some sort of fuzzy picture without being exact in any way. And I definitely see the dreamscape that she has created beyond just the heavy reverb and down-tempo style of the music itself her voice is compelling to a degree that i i rarely run into like it's so unique she sings in like a contralto like the lowest voice yeah but but she also has lets it uh sort of float into her head voice um when when it is necessary and when it and when she does that that contrast is really striking. The other thing that I want to talk about with this song, the very ending, um, there's there's this bridge section, are we far, not far from hurting again? Is it time, no time to take time? Again, more of that sort of dream logic of sentence structure, which I love. Um, and then there's this last section, uh, I knew you when you ought to know, that um, it, 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 I don't know, I don't know how to describe this. I'm just going to put a clip in is the best way that I'm going to do this. But it, it sort of drops, it drops open is what I was about to say. I don't know what I was referring to there, but, um, and she has these harmonies that sort of rise up out of the earth, uh, like some sort of 
ethereal hallucinogenic mist from a cave that the Greeks, you know, for the oracles, you know? Wow. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. That is. <laughs> I figured that would be enough for us to get there. Uh, the like uh, oracles of... in Greece, uh, the like oracle of Delphi, like they would oracle like. There was like a. There was like a. There's just like a cave with like natural gas in it, and you like inhale the natural gas and be like, the gods are telling me shit because I'm high as fuck, um, and that's what I feel like. Not necessarily the highest fuck part of it but sort of the rising of this gas and uh, that transporting you to another plane is how I feel about those rising harmonies on that you ought to know. I just love that um, this has given the world another really, really excellent song uh, with the distinctive phrase, you ought to know. Wow. <laughs> I did not expect you to go there. <laughs> a temple of Apollo. Is the temple of Apollo where the where the natural gas is? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems to be probably something to do with volcanic gases in the area. Gotcha. Okay. Also, Andrew, the production on the song is very, very good, um, and the producer that. Jayla initially worked with, I found out from this New York Times profile, is the same producer, um, Daniel Aged, who worked with Frank Ocean and FK Twigs. Mm. The latter, I definitely see in particular, they have similar production styles that really suit the vocal stylings of both of those women. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I did not know that, but the uh, the FK Twigs comparison does does make a ton of sense. Gabe, you've brought me something that I've never heard before, and I uh, really loved it, so please tell me all about it. This is Kadir by Nick Hakim off his record, Will This Make Me Good? across this song I think about when it came out or when the album came out earlier in the year this album got some acclaim um, although I, it's a bit sprawling on the whole I think and, and it's really a listen like you gotta sit down and go for it um, which is intense and then this song kind of drifted away and then on my last cross country drive our mutual friend, Soraya, who's been on this podcast, made me a playlist that was like four and a half hours long <laughs> for that drive. And this song was on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this song. 
Um, and really being able to be on a drive and not have anything to do except for listen to music. And watch the road. Whatever. Um, I really got to sit with this song and the rest of the record. And this song just absolutely... I'm glad that I remembered to bring it for the show eventually. Um, it's gorgeous. Um, first, Nick Hakim, briefly, son of Chilean immigrants to D.C., and then he like was pretty mediocre at the school thing and then ended up being very good at the music thing and went to Berkeley uh, College of Music for a while and then whose influence you can feel on this record, right? That's an institution best known for its jazz. And there are lots of jazz and world percussion elements on this song. But there's also a lot of like hip hop and R&B stylings that go along with this as well. Kadir is about um, Kadir Imhotep West, who was a friend of Nick Hakim's as a child who died at the age of 25 a couple years ago. Um, and this was somebody who Hakeem had like looked out for in school because they were both kind of kids who got left behind a little bit by the system, academically at least. Um, and then at some point, you know, as happens with a lot of childhood friends, they lost touch. And then he found out about Kadir's passing at a pretty young age and wrote this song basically as an ode and as a response to that. Knowing that I think elevates the song even more. It takes on like a religious spiritual quality to me. I um, mean, it's also a reminder to check in on, on the people you love while you can. I love the way Nick Hakeem sings on the song. And that adds to that spirituality. And particularly the lines from the first verse, there seems to be a complexity to being kind to your space, to your temple, to your neighbors. It's just really beautiful the way it all sits up. There are a number of different cuts of this song that Hakim has put out. There is a single version, which is like maybe four-ish minutes. Um, the version from the album, which is um, the version I'm most familiar with, clocks in at around seven and a half minutes. And it, it opens up and there's like this huge soundscape and lots of additional vocals from people, um, including Pink Sifu. It feels like Nick Hakim has created this like musical world to honor and to give to his friends in a really beautiful way. Yeah, I'm glad you gave the sort of backstory to this because I, I really enjoyed this song and I loved the expansiveness of it. But um, I'm not sure I could put a finger on it. But having that context uh, really helps a lot. Um, I, I love the line, what did you plant in your mother's garden? Yeah. And like you said, a lot of the lines in here are really, really powerful. I also saw that this album's uh, produced by Andrew Sarlo, who's like he... He does all the Big Thief albums. Um, I'm looking at his website right now. And uh, he did produce and engineer the song Losing You by Flight, which is, of course, the song that I was talking about without recalling the title <laughs> from earlier in this program. 
Ooh, it is a small musical world sometimes. Well, I mean, like a lot of the, I'm looking at his list and like the Courtney Marie Andrews from this album from this year that I really enjoyed. Um, the last two big thief albums, uh, that flight song, the howdy song runner, which I brought at some point, uh, the Wilson album ruiner, which we talked about. Whoa. Okay. Indie whisperer. The song is also so psychedelic <laughs> at points. I feel like we brought a lot of psychedelic st- flavored stuff for this episode. Like not uh, not necessarily anything fully. Uh, maybe this is the furthest we get. But, you know, I feel like a, a lot of these tracks have, have tended towards the uh, transcendental in in their different ways. Yeah, you're right. And maybe it's something that's appealing about that style to both of us. And neither of us are bringing hardcore style music or, or uh, for the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's like, obviously there's a ton of reverb on this song, but then also like weird twisted vocals that happen at some points. And mm-hmm. It does feel somewhat hallucinogenic as well which I guess is the theme of the episode. <laughs> this seems to be a complexity to be kind to your space to your temple to your neighbors who seem to change we all will change some of us will Andrew, how many different albums have you listened to so far this year? Um, according to my spreadsheet, that I, I should say I started doing like probably about halfway through the year. So I, I probably didn't include a lot of things that I listened to at the beginning of the year. But according to that, including LPs and EPs, but not singles, of course. I have listened to 360 individual releases from the year 2020. Wow. So out of these 360 albums, you had to choose one to bring for the show. I did. Which one was it? It was Beginners by Christian Lee Hudson. Up in the palisades, tell your folks you ran away. Besides, you're a north sider now. Nothing's going to change it, pal. Now, I, I did bring the first track from this album, Atheist, in episode 38 slash 30. The episode that we recorded initially for episode 30 and released after episode 37 and before episode 39. It's interesting that I feel like this album has been under-recognized this year, especially given the company, like the musical company that Christian Lee Hudson keeps. Yeah, I, I do feel like it's it's a little weird, especially because there's been so much press for, say, Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. But Phoebe Bridger's is a part of this album she she produced it and she is also you know joins in on some of the songs 
and there's a whole bunch of other big names on it. And even setting aside all those big names and stuff, I think this album is absolutely excellent from beginning to end. Um, I absolutely adore it. I was listening to it all the way through earlier today once more and realized that I know most of the lyrics of all 10 of the songs. It's exquisite songwriting. It's so good. Full of stories and imagery. Again, in a lot of the way that Phoebe Bridgers does for her music. And these two artists have collaborated a lot together, so that makes sense to me. Right? Like yeah, As you mentioned, Phoebe produced this record, but also Christian Lee Hudson is on Punisher. Right, and he like co-wrote some of the songs on the Boy Genius record. Like I've seen him describe some places like a, a longtime collaborator. He is 29, so it's not like he's he's an ancient person. But here's the thing. Uh, I was reading about Christian Lee Hudson today, and I learned some new information. Uh, he used to be in a duo called the Driftwood Singers, which was like a traditional folk kind of duo. Um, and I listened to some of the stuff, and he really has this like very folky um, sharpness to his voice that he sings on this. Uh, it's kind of funny to hear him. And this album is from like 2012. So this is him very young. And uh, in this duo where he sounds much older. And then he has, he apparently recorded two other albums, solo albums at some point in the 2010s that are no longer available anywhere to listen to. So we'll never know what they sound like. So this is sort of, it's sort of a weird way to get to this effectively debut album um, where he has like so much experience. And yet this is his first real step as himself onto the larger scene. Yeah, it's a great album to title Beginners. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he did that intentionally with, with the same sort of thought behind it. As like he still feels like he's beginning, even though he's been in the music world for a decade. Andrew, what brings you back to this album over and over? I think the chief thing for me is, uh, well... I was about to say something and then I reconsidered and I thought it might be something else. So it's, it's a combination of things. Um, yeah, I, I think there's three main things. And uh, two of them work together to create the third. Although the third is greater than the sum of its parts. So the first thing that I thought of that I wanted to say was uh, the lyrics and the lyricism and the poetry of the words that he chooses to use. I talked about this a lot when in that episode where I talked about the song Atheist. So uh, maybe I'll point out some examples from some other songs. I think one of the things about, about the lyrics is that he has these really beautiful lines that I adore that are interspersed or, or like these beautiful images that are that alternate with the fully mundane or even like vulgar uh, lines and images. So Northsiders is this absolutely beautiful, heartbreaking song about uh, a childhood friend um, and their ultimate death. And there's a line, we could have had a last hurrah when I was working at the smoothie shop, but I couldn't get the weekend off. Um, and then immediately the next verse is about uh, this person's death. A and it, it has this like alternate with something so mundane as like the smoothie shop and like, ah, I can't get the fuck, I got to work, you know, 
And the fucking TCBY this weekend. Or I guess it's a Jamba Juice, not a TCBY. It's a smoothie shop, not a yogurt shop. And he does that in other ways. Like, he doesn't shy away from vulgar language, which I appreciate. But he also doesn't do it way too much. He uses it in specific ways. Um, I want I want to talk about uh, the word fucking uh, in two different songs and the different ways he uses it, both sparingly and uh, effectively. One is in Twin Soul, which is a song about um, a relationship. The other person is also a musician on tour. Um, and there's this line, you've been away for months. The band's finally breaking up. Charlie's a fucking tool, says he's going back to school, <laughs> which I just love that. It's like, God damn it, Charlie. You're breaking up the goddamn band so you can go be an accountant or whatever the fuck. Fuck you, Charlie. Um, <laughs> and then it's like alternated with, with these heartbreaking lines about this uh, relationship as it, as it collapses. You've been away for months. Man's finally breaking up Charlie's a fucking tool Says he's going back to school The radio plays The song Unforgivable is this, uh, really, uh, it paints him as the narrator and presumably as himself because all of this feels very confessional as a, a not a great person um, and it's, it's again about the failing of a relationship as many of the songs are in here. And the chorus comes to a, a climax in, is it so unforgivable to wander off the course? We had a pretty good run, but I just can't fucking do it anymore. And the way that he sings that line, you really feel the intense emotional fatigue at the end of this relationship. I, I had heard this song um, on an older recording of his, some live recording that was still available, uh, where it was entitled, I Just Can't Fucking Do This Anymore. Mm. And I, I, when I, when this album came out, and I realized that this, oh, this is the same song, it has a different title, I wondered for a while why he changed, changed that. And I thought of something that, our friend who's the most frequently mentioned person on this program, Soraya uh, said to me about a song that I wrote and I uh, hastily titled, I sent her and she said, I really love this line. And the line happens to include a word that you use in the title. And I don't think you should title it this because when it gets to that word, it feels so much more powerful. It's not like a landing spot, but it is like th the power of that specific word um, is enhanced by it being unexpected. And I think that's true of this. You get that, uh, I just can't fucking do it anymore. He, he has all this like uh, elaborate poetry that that explains to you how he feels and the, the, the pain of the ending of this relationship. And it comes to a head and just falls uh, with like the most vulgar word there is. Is it so Unforgivable to wander off the course. We had a pretty good run, but I just can't fucking do it anymore. 
that's one third of what I wanted to say. Next thing uh, is this will be quicker. Uh, I really love all of his guitar work, and now seeing that he's he was in like a traditional folk group when he was twenty, uh, that makes a lot more sense. Um, his guitar lines are so beautiful; they're melodic and they're counter melodic to his uh, vocal melodies. They are elaborate in a way that doesn't seem show offy, showy. I guess is the word. Um, there's just a lot of these little. Uh, sort of fills and things that are so beautiful and so uh, distinctive. There, there's so much more than um, your classic like singer-songwriter. Not that that's a bad thing for the classic singer-songwriter to be more chord-focused, but um, that adds just some beautiful spice to all of his songs that his he's really carefully considering how his guitar fits in and making it its own voice. And what those two things combine to make are these songs that get stuck in my head, which is weird because it's not like they're catchy pop songs. They're all of these sad, uh, you know, just like uh, just heartbreaking songs about heartbreak. Not only are they about heartbreak and not only are they heartbreaking, they are both. And yet... All 10 of these songs get stuck in my head with some regularity ever since this album came out at the end of May. Um, and I just have the urge to listen to it again because it's even more than just like, that melody's nice. It's like, I need to listen to the fullness of that song. And that's what those uh, multiple components come together to make. It's not just you have this catchy melody that gets stuck in my head. It's you have this catchy melody and there's also so much more that when this melody gets stuck in my head, I have to go back and listen to the song to get that full experience. Every time I listen to Northsiders, it gets stuck in my head for the next week. <laughs> yeah. So that's been happening for about the last year now since that track originally came out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, me too. Um, for me, for the last, like that has happened for the last year and a half since Northsiders came out as a single. And then um, I think especially the song Twin Soul gets stuck in my head. That's the one with Charlie's being a fucking tool. Um, that, those, that chorus all of the lines just pop up in my brain and I just, I have to hear them again. Uh, it's, it's so great. Anyway, that is Beginners by Christian Lee Hudson. Um, a really wonderful album that I am certain will be on heavy rotation for the rest of time until I guess maybe he puts out another debut album and purchases this one from the internet as he did with his previous two. Yeah, make sure you get this one on tape or CD or whatever. Underneath your shirt, can we be single for the summer? Drinking 40s on the roof. I told you I was dying, then it was technically the truth. Things are gonna turn around any day now. Things are gonna turn around any day now. Things are gonna Gabe, how many albums have you listened to this year? Uh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that after I asked you because I have a list 
and then I realized I haven't finished the list. Anyway, the list contains like 320, but I think I'm missing some also. Fucking but rookie numbers. To you. Yeah, I got to get those numbers up. But for this segment of the show, I have brought one of my favorites, and I think to some degree the, the album I find the most interesting hmm. of my favorite albums of the year. This is We're New Again by Micaiah McRaven. I did not become someone different that I did not want to be. But I'm new here. Will you show me around? This album is subtitled A Reimagining by Micaiah McRaven because it is... A reimagining is a good word for it, but it's like a remix of the last Gil Scott Heron record that he put out before his passing in 2010, titled I'm New Here. I've talked about Gil Scott Heron before on the show mm-hmm. um, as part of a theme pick, I believe. Well, yes, it must have been, obviously. Well, yeah. <laughs> Probably the greatest spoken word musician artist Ever, I mean, I mean, I think that's like legitimately you could put him in that. You could say that about him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's iconic. His music has really, really gripped the nation, and you know, he slipped into obscurity. And then the last decade, decade and a half of his life was fraught with issues with um, substance abuse and run-ins with police. Um, but he ended up being able to put out this one last record in 2010. But if you read the interviews from when he put out the record, he was not really in it for himself. Hmm. Richard Russell founded the XL label, and um, he persuaded Scott Heron to put out this one more record um, based off fragments that Gil Scott Heron had written previously. But Gil Scott Heron was less involved with the, like the production of the album and the musical considerations, and he told an interviewer after the time that he saw this as Richard Russell's CD, and this was sort of a gift. He was like, I had no reason to get in the way of this person's dream, so I decided to help out. But it wasn't really his musical project, even though it is his vocals on the whole thing. This is actually the second different such reimagining of this record which tells you that Makai McRaven was not the first person to listen to this album and think this isn't quite there but it has some incredible potential to it um Jamie XX you know the 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 producer and the uh, member of the XX put out a version of this record in 2011 like immediately afterwards and now here we are a decade later, and Makai McRaven did this. Um, and I think that the original album, the production, and the way that the album is constructed gets in the way of Scott Heron's lyrics and vocal talent. And it does not do that justice. And I am 
delighted with this this effort from Makai McRaven. And I think this is the music that, and the style of music that the original album and the original spoken word should have been set to. It makes more sense, given both Scott Heron's previous discography, which was much more this, like, rhythmic style. I don't I don't know. It feels like the, the production feels just, like, in the way mm. from the original record. I got to say, the first track having the beat from Flashing Lights really does not help me get into it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for instance... So Makai McRaven is a drummer, primarily, a jazz drummer out of the Chicago area. Um, and he describes himself as a beat scientist mm-hmm. on his bio page, which I think is more apt than just drummer, right? Because not all of this is drums, but he has an incredible knack for the rhythm and how everything fits together rhythmically, which is crucial to how this um, album is put together. He's worked with like everybody in the modern jazz scene, which, you know, as we talked about on a recent pod, maybe the last pod, I found has this really interesting overlap with hip hop, mm-hmm. especially as of late. And um, you can very much feel that on this record. Gil Scott Heron was rap before that was really a thing. Yeah. Right? Um, and Makai McRaven brings a, a very jazzy influence to it. I, it's just so compelling the way that this album is put together. And the, you know, it's not just the songs in the same order, right? They, Makai broke things up. Um, like the opening track from the original record is like this long, pretty much just spoken word tribute. McRaven splits that up and sprinkles it throughout the record in four different parts, which leaves this really cool story thread throughout the whole thing and emphasizes that the album, to some extent, is really about Gil Scott Heron's upbringing and his relationship with his grandmother and the way that's interfaced into the music. And I love that the album ends with me and the devil, which I think is the star, one of the star songs off the record and is a great closing. You may bury my body. that this album to me is more than anything really symbol of what jazz can be now in 2020 we love to joke about jazz is dead i even brought a record or a song off of a label putting out like singles titled jazz is dead albums titled jazz is dead as a tongue-in-cheek way to do it but it is not popular music anymore it's (laughs) <laughs> it was, you know, I think especially for a time. It yeah, really like it was 15 years ago. 
No, I, but I think in the last five years, I think jazz has really become much more prominent again. And I think mm. that the genre has really been uplifted by this new wave of artists who fuse a bunch of different genres and ideas, like we've talked about with Christian Scott Atunde Ajwa and now Makai McRaven. And I'm really excited to see where things are going to go. I'm really excited to see what McRaven does next. Um, and this album is fascinating and worth a listen all the way through and also worth comparing it to the original record and also maybe Jamie XX's version. It's like a continuation of the idea of the jazz standard hmm. to some extent. What if there was a jazz standard album? That wraps up our year, 2020. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of albums listened to, like 200 songs brought for this podcast. Probably. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Well, um, you know, we've all had a great time this year and we're nervous about moving on to the next year where things might not be quite as wonderful. But I just <laughs> want to say just uh, keep... Um, uh you're um yep <laughs> oh god <laughs> well andrew i couldn't have said it better myself it has been uh, a pleasure getting to work with you every week this year um and getting to share music with you yeah it's been really nice to meet and... you <laughs> And I hope your next co-host enjoys it as much as I have. That's it for me, folks. And uh, enjoy next year's season of Fresh Pressed with Sarah Koenig. Okay, y'all. You can follow us on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod. Um, Our playlist of songs will have its last four tracks added to it. And then we will start a fresh Spotify playlist with all of our picks for 2021. And you can find that playlist in the show notes. Oh, wait. I do actually have two things that I want to mention <laughs> before we go. God damn it. I literally, I carved <laughs> out a block of space for you. I know, but I forgot. Okay, the first thing is that our she gets one more mention. Our dear friend Soraya Perry released the final album of the year. Uh, entitled Bunker Funk. Uh, It is a brief series of vignettes that I just think is excellent. It reminds me a lot of the OK Kaya quarantine-themed album from this year. Uh, (laughs) It's it's great. Check it out. Called Bunker Funk, Soraya Perry. And the second thing I want to mention is that uh, we are doing a little, uh, in addition to the stuff that we talked about here, we are putting up our own 25 album lists of our favorites from this year are each of our individual ones um and you can find that on our website that definitely exists and i'm saying it on tape so gabe has to make it exist again freshpressedpodcast.com shit okay i know what i'm doing tomorrow 
Get to work, Gabe. Yes, we will do that. Um, and we'll also tweet links out to that and post maybe a, a top couple or favorites on Twitter or do something like that. Who knows? Something might happen. Um, we'll be back. Well, when will we be back? January 5th? Are we going to do a record that week? Yeah, I mean, is is that the next Tuesday? I mean, yeah. That would be the next Tuesday. Great. If you're free, I'm free if you're free. Yeah, I'll be around. <laughs> free. Okay, cool. <laughs> so much to do these days. Uh, Andrew and I will be back January 5th, 2021, with a new year of Fresh Pressed. More tunes, more grooves for you. But for now, and for 2020, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed. 